Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm R.S. Benedict. In this episode, we're talking about physical disabilities. How do we portray them in fiction? How should we portray them? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? We are joined by James McPherson. James, thank you for coming on. Uh, could you start off by telling us about yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. So my name is, yeah, it's James McPherson, of course. And I'm a writer based in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, I've been published in a few places, so Ellipsis Scene, Not Dear Magazine, Wishbone Words for Fiction. Um, I was published for non-fiction in the manifesto based around like disability and the pandemic and thinking about how we should be going back to things, which, which was called Not Going Back to Normal. And uh, I also uh, do first reading or slash pile reading for Seize the Press. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, I should I should also mention, sorry, the point of me being on this as well, of course, is that I am physically disabled. I have progressive multiple sclerosis. So I have, you know, the sort of writing and reading background plus the disability. Right. So you know what you're talking about. You're not just some guy. Well, I guess I am some guy as well, of course. Yeah. But, but I have like the, you know, I'm, you know, I'm day by day. I'm taking things with disability, of course. Um, yeah. For, I mean, for the past eight weeks I've been learning how to use a wheelchair as like a full-time wheelchair user um, trying to get a grip literally on the world outside and trying to come to terms with how that looks for me so as I'm reading about things and writing as I go along and thinking about my day-to-day life as well is trying to put everything together and making making like a new life for myself essentially really yeah all right so eventually what we want to talk about in this episode is handling disabilities physical disabilities we're going to focus on the physical just because mental issues that's a huge topic and we cannot fold all of this together under one episode like that's enormous and in this episode we want to eventually start talking about how we deal with this in speculative fiction but let's start off in the real world talking about disability in real life or at least in mimetic fiction fiction based on a realistic setting so what are some physical realities you might need to consider when you're writing about disability i think one thing is to really kind of consider what model of disability that you're thinking of first of all and how like like if you take a step back from the writing and really think about how you think about disability yourself so these are kind of things that i've been like picking up myself over the like the past decade or so and trying to figure out how about i think about disability but like some of the ways that disability has been sort of modeled over the years over like the last few centuries we have like the moral model which was re- really saying that like people with disabilities are cursed or like this is because of their sins that this has happened to them you know, so if you're like an addict or if you have, you know, if you catch the plague, you know, you know, back in the time of the Black Death, for instance, then you have sinned and because you've not been loyal to God and so on. This is this is your punishment from God. It kind of goes like right up to the 19th century. But then also things like like the AIDS epidemic, obesity and addictions. Right. You know, for all those things, people can be like, you know, for, for obviously AIDS affected queer people by a large, large percentage, I believe. So it just means that people are like, well, because of your behavior, this is what you deserve. And those kind of attitudes, I feel, can really pervade society. Um, The more kind of subtle model that's maybe not fantastic is like a medical model, which is thinking about disability as something that needs to be solved. So, or that people with disabilities are not complete and we need to find ways to make them complete. And then perhaps thinking about them as productive units within society, if that makes sense. You know, like if you have a disability, then that means, well, it looks like you won't be working as hard as the co-worker next to you who is the quote unquote perfect person. So then how do we fix you? You know, rather, so it becomes like a, a problem that has to be solved. Um, so the, the ever model, I feel, is is not an ideal model. It's not, it's not like a perfect model. But the social model of disability is really considering the disability as something that people are affected by, but then it's it's really not they are affected by the disability itself. But we're trying to think about how they are affected by the disability in society. So it's an attempt to try and figure out how the environment around you is affects you day to day. So for instance, if you're like a wheelchair user, like I myself am trying to become, then when I leave my house, there is my front door is essentially one large ramp so I can get into the wheelchair, get down the ramp, out my front door and outside. 
but then there might be things out in the wider world that really stops me from getting where I need to go to. So, for instance, stairs. I can't obviously use stairs, but then stairs are like something of a construction. You know, somewhere along the line, someone has said, we can have one building and then we can put like basically another floor on top and then have something that leads up to it. So you would think, first thing of it as being stairs, but then if we have an elevator, then people in wheelchairs can get up there. So it's trying to think about disability as a like as a wider issue that affects society and how we input everything together, really. Right, right. And something that didn't occur to me, but I, I can't remember who brought it up, is we have a way of thinking of certain things as disabilities and certain things that kind of are disabilities, but we don't think of them like that. Like, obviously, we think of a wheelchair as a s- assistive tech yeah. or, or adaptive technology, but we kind of don't think of eyeglasses yes the same way even though they are like a pair of glasses is it's equivalent to like a hearing aid it's you can't see you have a visual impairment and here's a piece of technology that you're using to correct it or to be able to manage your life yes with this but somehow we don't think of wearing glasses as a disability in the same way we might think of as maybe using a hearing aid yes exactly yeah and i think that's really trying to think about that way one phrase it's not so much a slur as it is like it's, it's just one of those things that people say is that people in wheelchairs can be referred to as being wheelchair bound. Right. Which is the backwards way of thinking about things. So, I mean, for the last few years, I've really become more than anything bound by MS, by multiple sclerosis. And the wheelchair is a tool for me to access the wider world. So I'm not bound by the chair. I'm bound by the things around me that stops me getting from A to B, essentially. I mean, the joke I always think about in my head is that, like, if you're, like, a regular person, you probably wear pants when you go outside. Right. But you're not bound by your pants. Like, we don't think, <laughs> we, don't, we don't think, oh it's, oh, it's such a shame that Raquel has to wear pants when she goes outside. It's, it's, re- <laughs> it's really inspiring when she gets her pants on in the morning and goes outside. It's, you know, I'm really yeah. proud of her. We don't yeah. think about it that way at all. But, you know, we all wear pants. You know, it's something, that, or, you know, or other... I, items of clothing. I mean, I do think of my bra in that way a little bit sometimes, well, but... <laughs> that's, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I did see, I did see a tweet from someone a, a while back online where they said, they put out the idea, and I don't, I don't know how I feel about it, but it's an interesting one, is that cars can be considered as, like, mobility aids, because you get into the car and it takes you to the place, and you can't necessarily get to the place without the car. And it's like, hmm... So, I guess, yeah. It's just I think it's just when you think start to think of things like that because um, I'm really starting to grow fond of my wheelchair and I see it as like a tool or like a smaller vehicle that I get around in. Like it turns out, like going down a hill in a wheelchair can be like great fun. You know, you're not I'm <laughs> I'm not bound by like pain or anything anymore, and also I can go really fast in it and just fly down hills. So it feels really good to use this tool. Nice. Whereas. Um, I do have, when I'm going out and about, I have so many people that ask me if I need help or if I'm stuck or anything, where it's like, like, no, like the wheelchair like solves this issue. It might seem to you in that moment I am stuck or something, but no, like this is the thing to help me with things. All right. I'm going to guess most of our listeners know this, but I think a lot of people don't, or it takes some time to realize a lot of times disability isn't exactly a binary, like you're completely blind and can see nothing or you have great vision or... Yes. Like, I think there's a perception people will see a wheelchair user walking and go like, you're faking, but the reality is... Yes, and I, I would agree with that completely in my own instance because um, I still have a fair amount of strength to stand up and almost to walk. I mean, I can use crutches, I use a, a four-wheeled walker when I'm inside, but the wheelchair just makes everything so much easier. It just It doesn't so much as solve the issue, it just kind of eases everything up for me, really. Yeah, and also there's, for some people, there are conditions where some days your nervous system works and some days it just does not. Yeah, that can be a major thing with conditions like MS, where uh, some people can be what they call relapse and remitting, which is where the attacks of MS can come on and then go away after time. So sometimes they will need something like, perhaps they will need something like a wheelchair, sometimes they won't. Right. But yeah, it's, it's definitely not a binary thing, and I think that um, I, th- I think one thing I did want to say was that when we think about disabilities and disabled people, it's going to happen to almost everyone, you know, listening to this podcast is that yeah. like sooner or later, you're going to become disabled unless you're extremely lucky and you live to like the age of 100 and you go to a trip to the Grand Canyon and your your van flies off and you, 
you you die in a in a ball of fire like down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon or whatever, and you you know you you're just dead immediately. You're gonna you're gonna struggle struggle somewhere in your life. There is going to be disabilities that come up sooner or later, really. Yeah, even if you take great care of your health, shit breaks. Yes, and that absolutely happened to me because on paper there is no real reason why I have MS. Like it's just something that appears for people. There seems to be like a genetic disposition for some people to pick it up, but it's not like a thing that's been passed down from my parents or anything. It just sort of happened. And and there's things I could perhaps have done better for my health when I was younger, but there is no clear cause and effect for myself, which is not to say that people who are disabled because of their past actions are any less, but really just to say that, yeah, obviously, like as you get older, you, you come to meet people who have just had strange things happen to them over time, you know, like any sort of physical accident or it could happen any, at any point, really, which is not to scare anyone or anything, really, but it's just to say, like, really should think about these things going forward if that makes sense yeah maybe instead of thinking of disabled people or able-bodied just you're temporarily able-bodied i guess so yes yeah i (laughs) think yeah i I think you can still say able people but yeah there is not just like there's not just two categories it's not able and disabled we're always going to have somewhere on the on the i guess the spectrum of things really yeah yeah So in a previous discussion, you mentioned that when you have a physical disability or mobility issues, moving is harder and requires way more consideration than doing something that I don't really think much about stepping up onto the curb after crossing the street. But for someone who maybe is in a wheelchair, it might require a little bit more like planning. Yes, yeah, I, I definitely feel that way because um, it's something I've really came to learn like in these past two months, um, but it's something that I've had to come to terms with over like the last 10 years as my disability has progressed. Um, it started off like 2013 where I seemed to walk like I was drunk sometimes, so I was I was kind of like, well, I need to be careful where I put my feet. And then that progressed and progressed till I started to use like a walking stick. And then, so th- things like, you know, traffic lights and so on become harder and harder. So and where I am just now is that like learning to use the wheelchair means that I'm coming up to the side of a curb and stopping and making sure the curb I'm going to go off of is fine. And then looking across the road and making sure the one at the other side is fine and making sure the road is fine. So there is there is a significant amount of planning on my day-to-day when I'm going somewhere new. Yeah, I remember a friend when she was, I think, seven months pregnant, just describing the work of getting off the couch as like a multi-step process requiring a lot of planning and thinking and multiple phases, just because I'm not sure if it's appropriate to call pregnancy a disability, I don't know, but your body is doing something it doesn't normally do and that makes it harder to function. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, and um, like I, I can sort of see what you mean with that. Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah, just because I remember you mentioning, or should we, I'm not sure if we should save this to the end. You read a recently very popular, highly praised short uh, sci-fi story in which the main character is a wheelchair user and the author describes this character ascending the curb in his wheelchair and it's not not really treated as a big deal. Yes, um, yeah. I feel we could sort of jump towards that if that's fine. Um, sure. So I, I don't know if we want to name the story because uh, I feel that we talk about this author quite quite often. I mean, um, if you want to name it, go ahead. If you don't want I, to, then that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I will, I will protect their name if that's fine. <laughs> but and it's not just because, like, like I just don't want to criticize someone directly. But the, the line in the story was really very simple, and it was just that the the character wheels themselves up the curb, and I was kind of like, I was reading the story, and I was like, is that it? Like, is that are we not going to take this any further? Um, I felt it was fine. But I felt there was a lot of potential there that could have been unlocked, if that makes sense. Right. One thing I was thinking about when, because I came across um, Matt Bell's Substack, which is a fantastic resource for writing of any sort. And one thing he said was that you should always remember that many verbs contain other verbs. And these verbs are nesting dolls made of stacked actions. And that really made me think about things. So like if you're opening a door, like how many verbs do you use to open that door? 
when like when a character is opening that door if that makes sense like are they taking their time to put their hand on the handle and turn the handle and pull the door open or are we just like bypassing that completely because it obviously might not be relevant to the story and so when we have a, a wheelchair user that suddenly just goes up the curb and continues on i feel there is like a lot unsaid there because that says to me that they're very adept at using the wheelchair um but also that the curbs that they're going up are great like there's not any problems with them clearing that curb at all when i leave my house i have a set route where i go to to get to like the main road that i want to get to usually and it, it involves like a non-obvious route because there are several curbs i found myself completely stuck at and has meant people have had to come up to come up to me off the street and help me so I feel it says like it almost says like a lot of about the world that this character is in. The curbs are easy for them to navigate. I'm just thinking of like northeastern winter too, where you get a shitload of snow, melting snow puddles, just ice all over the sidewalks, and and the curbs get really fucked up. Yeah. So it's been a long time since I've been in the United States, but I found like the sidewalks and so on um, were not fantastic when I was walking on them when I was an able-bodied person. So um, I don't know how I'd feel about it now. Um, like I know a lot of areas just simply do not have sidewalks they're they're just non-existent things like that it makes me feel like this is a society that accepts disabilities but then if we if we don't see that further in the story I really don't know it feels like a bit of an oversight really yeah yeah and I think another reality to consider if you're maybe writing disability is the reality of human sexuality there does seem to be a tendency to portray people with disabilities as almost childlike or very sexless. I'm not saying that you're obligated to include a sex scene for the character, but it is a little weird sometimes when the the person with a disability is always just sort of in the background, unpartnered, kind of got nothing going on while other characters do. Yes, and I personally would say I completely understand the tendency for that because that happens to me very often. Where um, so I was diagnosed with MS when I was um, I think I think I was twenty four, and the the conversations I was having with people like before twenty four and after are like night and day sometimes because I don't get asked about you know like am I seeing any girls am I going out am I meet am I seeing anyone mm. it's simply it's just not conversations that people have with me anymore, and even before I started to use the wheelchair, there was a perception that I have some sort of horrific ailment that means I am just suddenly sexless. That's not to say this happens with every single person, but I clearly feel there is a difference between before diagnosis and afterwards about how I am perceived. So I completely see why why people write that way, because there's a lot of internal uh, ableism there, I suppose. Right. So let's talk about some of the social and economic realities of physical disability. One is, I mean, maybe it's harder to hold down a job, but does that mean that it's not necessarily that you can't do the work, but for some reason, at least pre-COVID, we designed a lot of our workspaces in ways that are rather hostile. Yes, yeah, and I would completely agree with that. I also remember before I had the diagnosis for MS, you know, my physical ability was going down. So I found myself having to like apply for jobs that were not physically demanding. Um, like previously I worked in like shops and bars and things like that but after that I was like okay maybe I shouldn't be applying for these jobs anymore because I knew that these places were not disability friendly at all and I feel it is something that does massively go unsaid and I mean in terms of like things like work and and economic reality and things in the UK uh, for like for people like myself are they have really become like over the last 10 years have become extremely dismal um, I can't remember the, the body, I think it was the, like the UN looked at like how many people they believed were going to be dying of like poverty and like things like that, like in the in the UK. And they realized they had the figures wrong by like an additional 335,000 people had died between 2012 and 2019. Jesus. And that's directly because of uh, austerity cuts. So things to, like public services and benefits have been slashed. I can talk about disability benefit myself, where um, the process is absolutely barbaric. It's it's inhumane, um, which involves filling out a series of forms, um, or not even not even uh, filling out the forms. You need to you need to call the the Department for Work and Pensions, 
who will then sit, sit on the phone with you for an hour, fill out, like fill out a form, then they will send your form in the post. At that point, they will reject you like almost automatically from receiving any sort of benefits. Then you'll have to take them to a tribunal. Uh, at the tribunal, you will be sort of judged by an independent contractor, not you know, so not even someone from the government. And then they will decide if you're disabled enough to get money or not. So I did all that. I was denied. I had I had a friend help me again appeal it. We didn't quite take them to court, but it almost went that way essentially. And I remember like this person sitting in the room and, and talking to me and asking me, you know, a barrage of questions. And then at the end of the assessment, they thanked me and stood at the door. And as I left the door, I could I could feel them at the back of me, like watching me leave because they were watching how I walked to decide like if I was disabled or not disabled enough. And this this is me talking as someone with um, like MRI scans and a series of experts that say, yes, you definitely have a disability um, still not being I, like, I wouldn't say automatically given anything, but they, they can't look at things and be like, oh, yes, you have a disability. Here's some money because of the economic realities. That's it's simply denied and, and cut as much as possible. Man, that sucks. I, I remember a friend of mine going through something kind of similar. His girlfriend's mother was in a coma and they were trying to get disability for her. But the requirement or something was that she had to come into the office for a hearing. And it's like, well, she's in a coma. We cannot. Yes. We can't drag a fucking coma patient into your office. That's insane. Yes. And from my perspective, as someone, you know, as, as a reasonably intelligent young man, I'm able to, like, complete forms and speak to people and so on. But if a person is, like, nonverbal or has learning disabilities or, or mental disabilities and so on, or simply cannot get to the, the appointments, then they will, they, it's very possible they will be denied and lead to so much death and destitution, really. Um, the one book I did read on that, um, it, it, like, it's very particular to the UK in this subject. It was uh, by Francis Ryan called Crippled. Mm. And it's, it must be about 300 pages long, but I read it in like one sitting because I didn't want to read that book anymore because the individual cases that she goes through and, and the people she speaks to, it's absolutely brutal what's been done to people across the UK. Which is not to say other countries don't have it as hard. This is me just like speaking from my own personal experience, really. Yeah. All right. So another consideration when we're dealing just with the reality of physical disability is that shit costs money. Yes. And benefits are not very good. They're really, they're not great. They're not great. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in terms of myself, like I have had access to physiotherapy through the NHS. God bless them. NHS is absolutely incredible, but also wildly underfunded uh, to the point they're trying to break the system, essentially. So physiotherapy, it can be like, for me, it was like 10 sessions and then they were like, okay, now get out of here, basically, because like they have other patients to speak to. So I've turned to like private physiotherapy, which has also been fantastic, but it's, that cost me money. I can't walk well, so that means I don't have ways to get there quickly, so I have to get a taxi. So there's a taxi back and forth and physiotherapy. Um, I've tried a million different treatments as well, like oxygen therapy. I, I don't know if you remember the uh, the Molly suit that I was trying on earlier this year. I remember that, yeah. We, yeah. Were, we were kind of joking. You've got a Gundam. Yeah, the Gundam, yeah, which is basically a suit that uh, gives you electric shocks across your body to try and stimulate the muscles. All of that costs money as well. And I think the main one for me is, I mean, I'm able to work full time with a desk job, but then it also means that I'm spending a large amount of time trying to figure all of these things out as well and how I put this together, you know, so you have, you know, you make sure you have the money, make sure you spend the time on the physiotherapy. And then on top of that, you know, try and write some stories occasionally if I get lucky. But um, yeah, it's becomes, it becomes very hard though. Right. And I'm also thinking about assistive devices oftentimes if you have insurance maybe it doesn't cover them or it only covers the really shitty one or it only covers a small amount of it or doesn't cover it at all and and there are a lot of devices other than just wheelchair and crutches like hand control adapters in your car if you are a person whose legs don't work but you st this is america you need to fucking drive there's a device you can put in your car so that you can operate the gas with your hands but you got to get that installed and it is expensive Buying it, getting the installation is not cheap, or getting like a decent pair of hearing aids might not be cheap, or, or so on and so forth. Yeah, or motability cars as well, which are like cars that are built from the ground up to, to allow people with disabilities to use them as well. Yeah. Um, those kind of things can be funded on the NHS to a degree. I do remember a few years back they kind of changed things, and then they suddenly started stripping the cars away from people and things like that. Mm. So it does become harder and harder yes 
Um, I think to jump onto the other point was um, about housing as well, which is, um, you know, so- suddenly things that previously may have been fine for you become a lot harder. Yeah. I live in Edinburgh, which is a, a city that's in the past has been constructed almost solely of like tenement buildings, which means, you know, high staircases. So you need to make sure that you're able to get up and down stairs. And if you can't, well, these buildings are far too old for elevators. So you're really kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah. So you're limited in what apartments, what places you can live in. You'll want to, you'll need a place with a decent elevator and and an entry ramp or at least to be on the first floor. And that means you're limited in what you can get. And an apartment like that might be in high demand. So it might cost a little bit more money or something. Yes, so there's a heck of a whole lot of financial stuff going on, and that is another thing to consider when you're maybe maybe consider when you're writing a character with a disability when you're writing about disability. So let's switch or let's transition from the total real world into media, into writing, and talk about the way disability in general, both in mimetic fiction and in speculative fiction, is portrayed. There's often these two extremes in the way it's portrayed. It's either as this inherently completely tragic thing, or as what people tend to call inspiration porn. Yes, yeah. Like the last few days, I have been looking through a good few examples and trying to um, figure, you know, what we can talk about here. Um, I think um, some, like one interesting one of inspiration porn that I wasn't, I had never thought about before was Forrest Gump. Oh yeah. At the start of the film, he uses like- um, He's in leg braces le- or something. Yeah, leg braces, yeah, to help him walk. And then he suddenly, he's I think he's chased by the bullies down the street. And then yeah. at that point there's like a miracle and the, the leg braces fly off and he takes off down the street. So it's that kind of thing, yeah, where it's like like there's a sudden redemption and he's able to overcome the physical disability just because he tries hard enough. Right. And uh, which is not a thing that if you have a disability in real life that you can often do. Like, yeah, I feel like things like like MS for me has been an extremely harsh teacher where there's been times where I really tried to push myself to do something, you know, physically. And it's like, no, you cannot do that. Like, that's the end of it. You can't do what other people can do. Um, so the idea that you can just push through disability and you'll be fine is ableist, I guess. Yeah. And there's also an unfortunate tendency to portray a lot of characters with disabilities as sort of side characters who are there to teach the main character a valuable lesson about, like, believing in yourself, which is which is kind of unfair as sort of you're making another person's whole issue just to serve as an inspiration to someone else and not as meeting them on their own ground or or seeing them as a full person on their own, I guess. Yes, yeah. I think that is something that happens to me as well, which I always feel very mixed about, is, like, if I ever post something online and talk about my disability and how I'm doing with it, and if there is, like, small successes, people can be like, oh, hey, that's great to hear. And sometimes people do say that inspires me, and I'm like... Well, like, like that, that's fine. It's not the reason I'm doing this thing. It's just, just to, yeah. just to get by. You know, in most cases, really more than anything. Yeah, yeah. So that that can be a little frustrating and objectifying. And then on the other hand, the idea of, oh my God, you know, this person's got a disability. This is, I like obviously having limited mobility is not going to be fun. I, I, I think it's it's fair to say that. But treating the life as inherently like sad my life is over might as well die is yes obviously kind of cruel <laughs> yeah yeah if we jump ahead slightly there was one example i was going to talk about in avatar sure if that's fine okay and how yeah. and how that all applies and we can talk about a few things there because um that is one i checked out recently so like i i watched it back in 2009 when it first came out in the cinema but i came back with like obviously like fresh eyes to date like disabled eyes and like looking at how how it looks now and it has a really interesting start to it, which is quite strange, but like it, it's interesting to think about. So like at the start of it, we get the idea that the main character, Jake Sullivan, who is who's played by an extremely wooden actor, he's he's very, very wooden. He's not charismatic at all, <laughs> just as a side point. And we learn that he was a former Marine and he's been uh, paralyzed, so he's a paraplegic. So we see him like in, in the bar, and he's using a wheelchair, and to be honest, he gets around with the wheelchair great. He's he's doing really well. He's like he's like balancing a shot on his head while balancing in the wheelchair, and everybody, everybody thinks he's really cool. And one thing he says, in, like at the start of it, is that, like with the narration, he says they can fix a spine, but not in this economy. 
So hmm. it's it's made clear that there are solutions to his problems, but society doesn't want to fix them. Um, which was kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the social model of disability, where it's not so much that you're disabled by, you know, you know your disability. It's the it's the society that you're surrounded by. And he says as well, I don't want you to pity me, um, but the strong prey on the weak. He then he sees a man beating up a woman in, in a bar, and he does something quite I found quite interesting. But I thought like I quite enjoyed it is that he manages to find a way to attack the guy and stop him from hitting the woman, and like knocks him over and then like so like gets on top of him. So he's kind of using the environment and what he has to get around that. Um, we also see him like watching football, like you know, like soccer, and uh, he seems sad about it. So he's kind of looking at the TV and he's like, oh, "That could have been me, like back in the day." Um, hmm. The there's a there's a few other points. You see him on the spacecraft going to Pandora, where he's going to um, become the Avatar, and he's moving free real on the spacecraft because it's zero gravity. And I was kind of like. Well, why why can't it just be like that all the time, really? Um, and just stay on the spacecraft. So really what I was looking at is that, that he feels tragic about where he's came from, that he used to be like an upright man and now he's in a wheelchair. And so he and he wants to get back to like the marine life and so on. So he joins the Avatar program because his twin brother used to have the Avatar. So he's genetically similar enough to his twin brother to use the Avatar and like and swap over to the Avatar body. And he's told by this colonel guy, his, his name's Colonel Quaritch, that you give me what I need and I'll see it to it that you get your legs back, your real legs. And Jake Sullivan kind of looks, kind of looks at him and he's like, hmm. like as if this is a good thing. Like, oh, like we'll make sure you get your legs back. The thing I found really funny is that the colonel is telling him this from a giant mech. He's literally in like a Warhammer 40,000 mech, like that's like 20 foot tall. <laughs> so he's able to move around in the world in this gigantic mech that helps him navigate everything and I'm just like just give him the fucking mech like you have the technology <laughs> you're, you're literally in the in the technology right now just give him to it and like he, he, he will be fine but yeah so we, we kind of see it as an inspiration that like Jake is able to overcome his disability by getting into the avatar body and there's a really um great in scene where uh, he, he he gets into the avatar body for the first time and he promptly runs out of the laboratory and runs outside and he's running over all the fields and the music's really happy and the camera zooms in on his feet and we see that he's you know he's moving his feet and, and like how great that is and from there the film just kind of forgets about his disability and you know because he, mm. he, he's an avatar now and so he's running around being like a marine as he used to be and that's that and then at the end of the film once they, uh, you know, kill all the humans or whatever. Like, the god of the Navi, like, transfers into the Avatar body permanently. So he's able to discard his weak, crippled body for, like, the 10-foot-tall blue body instead. Right, right. Now, I remember you drew an interesting parallel to this movie and the fact that, was it Israel? was really touting that it's doing this great job of creating adaptive technology or something like that? Yeah, the company that I was thinking about, I think it's called Autobock, and it's Human Mobility Products. I've just Googled it just now, sorry. But they, um, they're based in Germany, actually, but I'm sure um, I might be thinking of a different company, sorry. But Israel also deals with what's called HSCT, and that is a procedure where, because MS is an autoimmune disorder, they can basically uninstall your immune system and give you a new one. Whoa. It's quite similar to like cancer treatment where they just blast your body with like stuff that then deletes the immune system. They take the stem cells before that and then give you the stem cells back and then give you all like all your shots for your liquor and to make sure, you know, you don't die of like tuberculosis or whatever. And one of the places that you can go to for that is Israel. And I've seen documentaries of people going to Israel for this treatment and stuff. And so even back then, it was years ago when I was watching that documentary, I was kind of like, you know, thinking about, thinking about like, would I go for this? And like, obviously, like, I would not want to. But I feel for a lot of people, like, the temptation could be like to, to tie into a lot of different things, obviously, with current events, of course. Yeah, it kind of makes me think a little bit of the Starship Troopers adaptation, the Paul Verhoeven movie. I've never read the book, but 
it's very deliberately a point that the society has amazing adaptive technology. They have terrific prosthetics. If you get an arm chopped off, they can give you a robot arm that works just fine, but they only give it to you if you're an active military service, and they're only giving it to you not to improve your quality of life, but so that you can serve the war effort. Like, the, at the beginning of the movie, there's this character, he's working as a teacher, and he's an amputee because he was a military veteran, and he only has one hand. And then later he reappears in active military service with a robot hand. So it's like, yeah, we'll give you that, but only if you're willing to kill for it. And and elsewhere, we, we have a scene where the main character meets a guy who's a triple amputee, who's like basically working a civilian desk job, and he doesn't have any prosthetics. Because he can type on a computer with his one hand, so yeah, we're not giving you anything. Fuck you. Yeah, and it's 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 this beautiful way of showing just how fucking cruel the society is. That they could help you, they could they could give him feet that work just fine, but they're not gonna because he doesn't quote unquote need it. Yeah, there's also that of course the extra conceit that the reason that they need this technology in the first place is because they've gone to the the alien planet to fight the aliens, and then. They've been horrendously crippled in in the war effort for it, though. So yeah, so it's it's all like the the entire disability from like start to finish is like based around society. You're crippled, you know, you lose your legs or whatever, and then the society will give it back to you if the society deems you as worthy enough for it. Right, and it's this just awful, cruel thing. It it it's this, it's it's terrific. I fucking love that movie. It, mm. I love that trash movie, it rocks. But we're getting ahead a little bit. Another tendency, I, I think we're moving a little bit more toward genre fiction and, and genre film, is disability as a mark of evil. Right. I mean, mentally ill people are so often portrayed... I know I'm going off on slightly a tangent, but mentally ill people are so often portrayed as inherently dangerous, inherently violent, even though people with mental illness are often more often victims than villains because you're an easy target, unfortunately. And there's... There's a real tendency I've noticed in like every horror movie or thriller is the evil person with albinism. Right. Like people with albinism are never just like kind of funny or goofy or normal. They're either like psychic or they're serial killers. Yeah. And that's the perception of disfigurement as a, as a mark of ego, as you said. Yes. Yes. I think um, to touch on one very briefly is Doctor Who with um, the Daleks, where like, I don't know how much you know, but um, they're led by um, a mad scientist called Davros. And he is horrifically disfigured as well in the face. All the other Daleks of the race are have been disfigured in a, in a nuclear war to the point where they have to use, like, full-time mobility aids. And there's a lot of jokes about them not being able to climb stairs and stuff on, and so on. So, yeah. But I guess that would be tied into disability as a mark of evil, though, that they are so disabled that they have to base their entire lives around life support machines from birth, essentially. Right. There is also a tendency to portray disfigurement or disability as a mark of evil or, or a sign of evil. Yeah. I think um, another thing I kind of noticed when I was going through different examples and so on is the idea that if you're disabled physically, you have to find a different way to compensate it, like mentally. Mm. So... Just to run through some examples, I did come across... This seems to be a really common thing in comic books. So you have Daredevil, who loses his eyesight, and then he gains... Like, there's also something a bit... Like, with chemicals or something. And so he gains, like, stronger, like, sense of hearing. And then so he's able to use the sense of hearing to compensate for the loss of his sight. You have Professor X of the X-Men, who's physically disabled in a wheelchair. But he has, like, the mental powers, so that's fine. There's Barbara Gordon, who is also sometimes known as Batgirl, and mm. uh, she's paralyzed by the Joker. But it's also okay because she also has like a fantastic memory and hacker ability, so she becomes Oracle. And so even though she can't walk anymore, it's fine because she's able to use her mind and um, overcome the physical disabilities and still prove her worth as a, I guess, as a functioning unit within society. Um, I think my like, one ask would be, I really like to see just disabled characters that are allowed to be idiots. You know, <laughs> just like they don't like not to say they don't have any redeeming characters, but it'd be just nice if there was like a guy in a wheelchair who is like also on like it's always sunny in Philadelphia or something to just. Yeah. Who just wants to smoke weed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Was there a character a little bit like that? And there's this really great Charlize Theron movie called Young Adult and Patton Oswalt plays a 
sympathetic guy who was in love with her in high school and he's got a disability right now. He works, he walks with crutches because he was really just got the shit kicked out of him when he was younger. And there's the scene where he, who's sort of, he's Patton Oswalt, so he's sort of a loser just because he's Patton Oswalt, not because he's disabled, but it, that's, that's who he is. Meets the like high functioning alpha male inspiration, poor wheelchair guy. And it's just like, I fucking hate that guy. Yeah. I fucking hate him. Yeah. Yeah, smile, smile, smile. Fuck you. It's great. It's so good. <laughs> I was going to touch uh, very briefly on Game of Thrones. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, you have Bran Stark, who may as well be a comic book character in the same way he's thrown out a window and paralyzed. And then his powers like foresight and ability to change bodies and like to inhabit his wolf and so on become apparent. So again, you have that thing where he's like, he's physically disabled, but he's also got this other thing going, so it's fine. I think as well, if we look at uh, Tyrion as disabled, um, I think definitions of dwarfism as being a disability are kind of um, contested in some places. But I, th- right. but I think if we look at him as being as having a body that's not atypical, right, he's still able to. Uh, but again, he's known as having like a sharp tongue. He's able to talk his way out of problems and so on. It's that kind of, same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, before we go too much into just going into more examples, mm-hmm. I think we should take a minute to talk about why it's worth considering how we deal with disability in speculative fiction. Like, okay, so real world accuracy is kind of silly to think about when you're writing a story with like space aliens and dragons and giant robots and shit, but it is worth discussing it with consideration and care, right? Like, so... Are you, oh, there won't be any disability because we'll just magically fix it all or we'll just futuristically cure it all. Like, feels a little pat and cheap to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Like, an example of that could be, like, I don't want to go too much into examples again, but um, Mm -hmm. uh, Yennefer in The Witcher, who is born with uh, significant physical disabilities, um, she has some kind of a hunchback and her jaw is out of shape. And so she has this cure. She has, like, a magic ritual she goes through. And then she comes out with the other side and she's absolutely beautiful. Um, downside that she now becomes infertile. Um, so then she has to find ways to, you know, to try and have children after that. But like her disability is kind of brushed aside, really. Mm. She has something that she struggles with and she goes through a magic ritual and then she's all fine. And I feel it's fine to do. But I think that my main issue with it, along with like representation and not getting to see a disabled person do something, is really that we lose out on a sense of struggle. I think, mm. which I feel I like personally, I always want to see in something. I always want to see like a character struggle with things, really. Yeah. And now there was another thing you, you brought up, I think, an example of was it a video game where it seems to take place in sort of a 17th century inspired sort of pirate setting. And there's a character who's using a very modern type wheelchair on an olden times pirate ship. And it's kind of like, what? <laughs> I don't bring that up myself. No, but that's interesting. Okay, someone brought this up in the Discord. I'm so sorry for not crediting the proper person. No, no, it's fine. I have looked at a Dungeons and Dragons add-on for wheelchairs. Yeah. So you have like um, like a set of rules of how wheelchairs would work in Dungeons and Dragons and so on. Which is, I think it's really interesting to think about. Of course, it does bring up the concerns about whether like a dungeon would be wheelchair accessible maybe it would be you know maybe we just have to think about scenarios which are more than just the basic ones that we usually think about i know there's like additional rules like you can add on like magic to the wheelchair so the wheelchair can like fly upwards and things like that but then obviously mm. that's offset by you're having to spend more on your character like more money to to get them the, these add-ons and so on but i think i think it's, mm. it's definitely worth considering and whether it's the right thing for the environment yeah I would personally like to think about other devices, like can they use like other creatures to get around or something like that, or like a symbiotic relationship with a little weird little horse type thing, or yes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for weird horses and stories, really, like little horses that you can get around on. That would be pretty sick. Yeah, but it's just thinking about like I think from my own perspective again, it's really that when I started to use the wheelchair, I was like, well, hang on a minute, my arms still work, it's just my legs that I have the issues with. So what can I use to get myself around with my arms? And then a wheelchair became the obvious thing to to pick up on, really. Yeah. What do you think, granted, this is not your specific issue of Star Trek TNG, Jordi LaForge's visor? In what respect do you mean? Like, like... Oh, just as like a, a way of handling a disability in speculative fiction. Like we have a character who's blind, but he has this visor that allows him to see. Although his vision through the visor is very, very different from like a, a sort of average person's vision 
I think it's interesting because it just means that the character's given a different perspective on things, really. Where they have a, a they have a device that helps them to see, but then it's not what they see. Like what they see is not like different to our perspective. There are a couple episodes where they show it, and it it, it almost seems like almost an infrared vision, but not sort of what a normal human eye would perceive. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting way of, pers- uh, of showing it because what they could do is they could just say in Star Trek that the technology has advanced to the point where his eyes are fine, and you could just have the actor without the visor. But then that would just mean that people with eye disabilities, um, whatever that may be, don't see themselves reflected in the show. Right. I think that's why I feel that again, you could say like, why don't people in magic environments get rid of wheelchairs? Well, it's like, well, it's kind of nice to see people using wheelchairs in those environments because you see yourself in it. And I think that's something that I've really had to learn myself as like a white cis straight man is that before I was disabled, I was, you know, I I fit into all the categories and stuff. So I didn't really worry about um, representation so much, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's only when I've had the disability, I've been like, hey, there's a character in this that has a disability. I'm like that character. And I, I like to see that character being in it. And if, I, if I'm playing like a video game and there's a character in a wheelchair, I'll go for the wheelchair every single time. Mm. So in speculative fiction, maybe it is a little silly to think, well, that's that's not accurate. Because, I mean, okay, we're dealing with like magic or futuristic technology, so it's not going to be accurate to our real world. But I do think it is worth considering carefully how you portray this and, oh, we'll, we'll just completely cure it. It seems a little too easy or pat. But I don't know, maybe using modern tech might feel a little weird too, and it might be fun to try and engage with things in ways that are a little more creative or just a little more considerate. Yeah, when I was talking about Yennefer just now in The Witcher, there was also, there's a sort of argument being made for Geralt as being disabled, Mm. because in the books, Geralt has a horrific injury, I believe it's to his knee and his elbow, and he has to go through, again, through a magic ritual to, to heal his body parts. But the issue is that then that leaves him with severe chronic arthritis afterwards. Huh. And means, so there is a perspective that he is a disabled character and he struggles with a disability. When I was looking at this online, perspectives of this, because he doesn't seem to have those disabilities in the video games. And the video games are set after the books. I was looking at arguments online. People were like, he's been cured of the disability. We don't need to worry about that. We just put it to a side. Like, I guess so, but it's also like, it's nice as a disabled person to see see someone as you, like yourself struggle through things, really. So I feel it's fine for people to pick up on things like that as being like as a model for themselves, really. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So let's move toward a couple more examples of portrayals of disability in speculative fiction. We've talked about Game of Thrones. We've talked about Avatar, Starship Troopers. You wanted to bring up Kafka's Metamorphosis because, I mean, it's a fucking amazing story. Yes. So again, this is one I've looked at with abled eyes and then as through, I don't want to keep saying disabled eyes because that sounds like I have, I have an eye issue, which is not the case, but through like a disabled perspective. And there's a few points in that that really, really uh, got to me was that right at the start of it, when he wakes up in the morning and he's been transformed into like the abomination and his immediate thoughts are like, like obviously, you know, what the hell's going on here? But then after that, he's like, oh shit, I need to get up for work. I really, really need to go because I need to get on the train and get on with my job. And when I was reading that for like the second time after my disability really took hold, I really started to identify with that because like with someone with uh, issues with my legs, it just means that I struggle sometimes to get my clothes on in the morning and get out of the door and get to work. So when I saw him being like, you know, as the bug, being like, oh shit, I need to get to work. I'm like, that's funny, but it's also really tragic, and I really see myself in that. Yeah, yeah. It fits really well for mental issues, too. Like, when you're just in the throes of just a total mental health crisis, going, I gotta I gotta fucking get to work. You kind of feel like Kafka, little, like, little Gregor, who's trying to put pants on with his spindly little bug legs. Like, I gotta go to work. Like, you're a bug, dude. You can't do this. Yeah, you have bigger issues to worry about right now, but it's not the way that he feels at the moment, and it's not the way I feel about things, but it's like, oh yeah, I have like a, a really serious progressive illness, but I also need to get to work and pay the bills, like it needs to happen somewhere or another, really. I also feel like the ending is really tragic, where his family gradually discard his humanity, and it happens bit by bit, where they stop trying to talk to him, and they keep him locked in the room, they throw the apple at him... You know, they keep him pushed out of the way and then and eventually when he dies, they're so happy. They're so happy their son is dead because that means they can go outside and so on and live their lives again. 
And I really don't know if that's deliberate on Kafka's part to portray it like that, but I, I get the feeling that it, it is because I know that he had serious uh, illnesses himself as well. Oh, yeah. He had some really serious mental issues. He had anorexia for a large part of his life, just immense self-loathing. And his it sounds like his father was very much an overbearing man who uh, whose standards Kafka did not live up to, so... Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's another one. Uh, I think we wanted to talk about Fury Road a little bit because I fucking love that movie. And there's... Uh, yeah. It's interesting to look at because there's a lot of different portrayals of disability throughout yeah. the movie. I mean, we've got obviously Furiosa. She has her prosthetic arm. She's the hero. Yes, yes. And she gets by fine with the prosthetic arm, except I think like in the second major scene where she loses the arm, it gets tangled up and she has to fight Max like in the desert without the arm. Yeah, and she she has to find ways to overcome him from there. But apart from that, she manages. She's like a, I guess she has a positive representation because she manages to get by in life. She's extremely physical. Yeah, but then on the other hand, so many of the bad guys are. They also have some sort of disability and are disfigured. There's very much like I think a sort of pretty quote unquote disabilities and and yucky ones. Like Immortan Joe has this breathing mask. He's got all kinds of shit going on. So does his large adult son named Rixus Erectus. <laughs> which is a fucking amazing name yes. also has some kind of breathing apparatus on his face so even though he's this big strong guy he still has some kind of breathing issue some kind of lung issue he he wears what looks like an oxygen mask or something yes but there's also the case of smaller son corpus colossus so i i kind of looked into his background a little, a little bit and it turns out there's this same trope again of like oh he's physical disabled but he's also extremely intelligent so he's the one that seems to be running the entire show. Um, at the end of the film as well, we see him. like He's very small because of his disabilities, and they, he's the one that allows Furiosa and the rest of the camp to, to come up. But there's, you never really see him as a physical presence at all. Mm. It made me think as well, I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, why he doesn't have a car? You know, why does he go out in the raids? Yeah. Because they're all using, like, they're all wild and weird cars so I, I don't see why he, he could have a car as well yeah and it's like maybe it's a commentary on that society too i mean this is a society that worships physical strength so a guy like Amortanjo probably would not be as affectionate toward a like a physically no frail child he he would be a dick you know yeah yeah and and if you have to remember as well immortan joe's whole project is to give birth to uh, a son that, or, or a child that is pure because right. of it, because of something that's happened after the apocalypse, which means people are really prone to mutations and I guess disabilities. So he has the two sons. He has the smaller, physically disabled son that is intelligent, and he has the large son, which is who is not intelligent. So he's trying to breed, you know, the perfect being, which of course you could look at as the, uh, the eugenics of that very easily. Right, and there's that whole theme of the war boys in that movie. They love engines. They love cars because machines unlike human bodies, are are strong and can be fixed. And, I mean, if they break, you can replace parts and they'll still work. And, and they're shiny and they're not, like, soft and squishy and quite as prone to failure and death. So, like, the highest honor is to become like a vehicle, is to, is to become like a car, to be shiny and chrome. Hmm. And, and the war boys themselves, they're all just riddled with tumors. They don't have problems with blood, but they also make sure they always have a, bl a blood donor, and the, the the ones that like the universal donors are higher praised than the non-universal donors. So that's why they make sh they're really I'm, I'm sure they're really excited about Max, yeah, because because he's a, he's a universal donor, so they make sure that to prize him more than more than the um the ones with more more unusual types of blood, I guess. Yeah, there's also that character called the People Eater, the mayor of Gastown, who's this like huge, really fat, really monstrous character who's got like a prosthetic nose and deformed, big, lumpy feet. And his deformities are very much meant to portray him as this negative, like, villainous character. And I do get that a lot of these deformities or, or issues or whatever you want to call it are parallels or references, or I don't know what you want to call it, to the kind of ailments that rich people would get, like, back in the Renaissance. Like, there was a real outbreak of syphilis among the upper classes in the Renaissance, and one thing that syphilis does is makes your nose rot off your face, so, like... 
A lot of kind of upper-class men would wear a prosthetic nose or a mask or something like that to hide it, or gout was a much more common ailment among rich guys like back in the day. So maybe his big kind of fucked up feet, it's about he has gout. Right, yeah, yeah. And like none of the, the good characters in that film are really... Like Fury also obviously has her arm, but mm-hmm. that's that's not... But she's like, pretty. She's not lumpy yeah. or weird looking. None of... Yeah. They're, they're like... Very conventionally attractive, the majority of the good ones. Even the good war boy, yeah, he's got yep. some lumps on him, but he still has a very nice face. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he has he's allowed to fit into the category of, of, of a good of a good war yeah. boy, I guess. Yeah. The the disabilities that make you ugly are you know, quote unquote ugly. obviously I'm making a judgmental statement but but this is how the movie is portraying it is the physical disabilities that make you less conventionally sexy are very clearly a mark of either you're evil or you're a victim yes yeah exactly yes you're, so, you're one of the like background extras waiting to be rescued yeah and of course then we have like the beauty of tom hardy obviously so yeah you know. <laughs> just a stunning himbo Yep. You know, you've got Charlize Theron, who's fucking a total smoke show. You've got the supermodel wives. Yep. <laughs> yeah, which 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 are beautiful to make is kind of make a point about eugenics. I mean, yeah, because Immortan Joe being, this is a, a patriarchal society, so yeah, he is going to be very shallow about his choice of wives, and his choice of wives is partially going to be about the status symbol of, like, look how hot my wife is. Yes, yes. So it is interesting in, in that, like, you know, you could make a case, this is really ableist, but on the other hand, you could make a case, well, this is social commentary, that there is thought behind this other than, ew, yucky. Yeah. And I'm not saying any of this is a, to say, like, this is a bad movie, you're bad for liking it. I fucking love Fury Road, it rocks. Yeah, same. Absolutely, yeah. It's just kind of like a wrinkle to think about more than anything, yeah. Yeah. It's a question. I'm not canceling it, and, and I think that, like, the choices behind that movie... M- you could very much make a case that they're very well considered and and thoughtful choices, but it is worth unpacking it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's that kind of thing where it's like if you really like something, like what can you pick at it? What can you choose to do better yourself, perhaps? Um, yeah. I, I think in my case, like I, I'd be quite willing to, willing to make Mad Max have a physical disability or something myself. Mm. Um, so yeah. Before we go, one last example. Is Ash from Evil Dead's Chainsaw an example of adapted tech? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's able to use, like, a, a physical limitation and make it really work for himself, yes. And he's not smart, either. He's not one of the smart, magical, disabled people. He is a fucking idiot. He might be the solution to my issue, actually, now that I think about it, yeah. <laughs> he is just a perfect goddamn moron. And yeah. also really horny, so, like... There's your sexlessness is the problem that that's gone too. Yeah. Just a total himbo. (laughs) All right. So I think we've come to the conclusion that the greatest example of a character with a disability in speculative fiction is Ash from Evil Dead. You cannot disagree with this. (laughs) That's not the conclusion I was, I thought we'd come to, but (laughs) I can't, I can't deny it. We went through it on a scientific basis and found it. So yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. He's perfect. So thank you, Bruce Campbell, for your service. And we've been talking for a little bit over an hour, so let's wind it down. Uh, before we go, is there any any final thought you'd like to leave us with? No, I, I think my main thing really is to I really want to see people consider disabled people's moments or, or, or their movements moment to moment and really think if you have a character that struggles to put one foot in front of the other, how do you represent that on the page? Whether it's a good character or not, like we don't have to be a morally pure character at all. Um, like I've been reading uh, The Blade itself who is a, an, an evil inquisitor called Glotka who has horrific physical disabilities but he's still compelling because we see him move moment to moment though right and uh, before we go is there anything of yours that you'd like to plug calm down kitty cat um, I, do, I honestly don't have much going on at the moment <laughs> obviously learning how to use the wheelchair and so on that's been my main focus in life but no we can leave my blue sky in the episode description if that's fine that's more than enough okay well thank you so much for coming on no problem at all and thank you all for listening if you like what you heard please head to patreon.com slash write good and subscribe until next time keep writing good this has been write good with raquel s benedict hosted by raquel s benedict and produced by matt keely for ks media llc theme song by okay glass for comments and concerns 
please write to us at writegood at kittystasis.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittystasis.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. KittySneezes.com in color. <laughs>